Jesus, great awakening is going to come. Amen. Um, so before we read and I get into that, I'm going to tell you that on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about potential and about treasures. And I don't know how many of you have ever studied. You can Google hidden treasures that have been discovered. Let me tell you a few. In 1946, some postal inspectors got very suspicious about their deceased post office employees' activities. They borrowed a metal detector and from the U.S. Army, went in his backyard, used the metal detector, and discovered $153,000 worth of cash stashed in jars. Someone go buy a metal detector today, all right now? And then there was the boot of Cortez. Um, in 1989, a prospector in Sonora, Mexico, purchased an inexpensive metal detector, yes, my friends, at Radio Shack, took it to the desert. After days of finding nothing but junk, he hit something, didn't know what it was. He thought, well, this is like feels like a shoe. It was. It was a gold nugget so big it was named the Boot of Cortez from many, many years ago. In 2008, the boot was sold for $1,553. Come on, somebody. Then Mike DeMar, he was on the coast of Key West. Anybody been to Key Largo? Anyway, Key West in 2008, he thought he was digging and hit with a metal detector a beer can, Johnny. And this 20-year-old treasure driver said, diver said, I couldn't see any gold until I pulled it out. But the gold was a pound of it. It was from the Santa Margarita, a ship that sank in 1622. It was valued at $1 million. Come on, somebody. And then in 2009, this is a funny one to me, a, a, a metal detector enthusiast, yes, there are those that exist upon planet Earth, named Terry Herbert decided to try his luck in some farmland close to his home in Staffordshire, England. He went out there and found the Staffordshire hoard, which was 3,500 pieces of complete objects of gold and silver from early Anglo-Saxon times. It is value and sold at $5.3 million. Give the treasure hunters a hand. They deserve it, don't they? But let me tell you, most of these people spend their whole life and find little treasure. Most of these people, in fact, when you read about them, they have years of frustration and mutiny on the bounty can be said, Jay, my friend, when they find treasure. People lose their mind over money. I'm going to tell you something today that God looks upon the greatest treasure in the planet and in the earth is inside of you. Someone say, inside of me. God sees your pattern. He sees your potential. And he speaks promises today. And those are through Jesus. That's why I entitled it, Then There is Jesus. Have you ever had someone, before we pray, tell you when you're going through a terrible, horrible situation, I know exactly how you feel. And you know they don't know near how you feel. Come on, somebody. Then they try to tell you about their toenail compared to your surgery. They try to tell you about a pet, which I'm a big pet owner, so I'm not going to meddle too much here. And they lost their spouse. They say, oh, I know exactly how you feel. No, usually they don't even know approximately what we feel when we're going through something. Rare does the person know. But I'm going to tell you, at the right hand of God Almighty is one who knows exactly how you and I feel about everything that we go through or ever will go through. In Hebrews 2 and 17, it says it was necessary. Someone say necessary. For Jesus to be in every respect like us. That means every respect like us so that he could... Be our merciful and high priest before God. He then could offer a sacrifice, that being himself, to take away the sins of the world. See, Jesus was made in every respect. 
Austin, it wasn't just in some respects so that he would understand only Rhonda. But no, he went through everything at the cross and in his life so that he would understand everything. So Hebrews 4 and 16 could be said, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it because it's in Jesus. Someone give Jesus another hand clap of praise. Let me pray quickly over you. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. I welcome you, sir. I welcome the words you have. Leave those on the floor that you do not wish to be spoken. Most of all, I ask you, Holy Spirit, whisper. Whisper into the ears of my brothers and sisters what I don't even say. You have a way of doing that. Speaking a language to their heart and their mind. Resurrect dreams where hopes have been incarcerated. Set them free. Let the potential and the power that's found in you be awakened only as you can, Holy Spirit. I trust you to the glory of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. The first mention of Jesus was in the book of Genesis. As we know, Adam and Eve were created in God's image in the book of Genesis. But there was a snake in their garden. And whether you realize it or not, there will always be a snake in your garden. Whatever God has given you, there will always be a snake in your garden coming to steal your joy, coming to steal your health, trying to, should I say, coming to steal your peace. And that snake that got into the garden was Lucifer, as we know, embodied in a snake, and he caused them to take a bite of the apple, and they sinned, and that which was perfect, everyone say perfect, that which was wonderful, that which was beyond anything, you go to the most beautiful place in the world that you can think of, where peace abounds, where joy abounds, where there is no destruction, there is no negative, you cannot even come to the visual of what Eden was, it was perfect, but there they sinned, and there God could have been justified to say, I'm done. I'm going to wipe out Leah, Adam, and Eve, and I'm going to start all over again. Let me tell you this morning that the angels would have still said, you are holy, most high God. They would have still worshipped at his feet. They would have said, you have every right to annihilate those two people. But no, God did what only God can do. Love showed up. Love lifted them up. Love granted them a life beyond measure. Love pursued them. Love didn't give up. And love has a name and his name is Jesus. Can you say amen? We know when God came walking into that garden, he said, where are you? The wonderful and beautiful thing, and I want you to miss this because in a moment you'll see how it's turned around, and at the end of this message you'll really see how it's turned around. The thing about it is, is that they were used to communion with God in perfect friendship. We can't even imagine perfect friendship perfect friendship. He walked with them. He talked with them in the cool of the evening. I mean, when you think about the cool of the evening, how beautiful that is. There, they talked to him. And then when they sinned and their eyes were open and they became fallen, they saw all their transgressions. They saw their nakedness and they hid from God. And God says to them, Tiffany, where are you? Which God will always say to you and I, where are you, Rhonda? Where are you? God doesn't ask you that, Bridget, to find out about you. God asks you where you are so you may locate where you are so he can get you where he wants you to be. Come on, somebody. Where are you? And they say, we, we're hidden, we're naked, and we're ashamed. And God says these clarion words that we need to remind ourselves up every day. Adam and Eve, who told you that? Who told you 
that you were unworthy? Who told you you would always be a loser? Who told you you would always be an addict? Who told you you would always be a procrastinator? Who told you you'll never make good grades? Who told you you'll never get a job to make what you're worth? Who told you your marriage will never last? Who told you you can't be healed? God always shows up in the face of the snake in the garden and says, I don't know who told you that, but I, the Lord, did not tell you that. I do not take hope out of your heart. Somebody give him praise. So powerful. Every day when a thought comes to you and, oh, brothers and sisters, I'd love to tell you that myself and others much more mature and wiser, closer to the Lord probably than me, that we didn't have days where we had to say, I know God didn't tell me that, but we do. I know God didn't tell me that I'll never get a break. I know God didn't tell me that there's not a better day. Unless we learn to say to ourselves, who told you that, Nish? Who told you that? I didn't tell you that. You see, evil comes to destroy, and man's paradise was beautiful. In fact, this was the worst-case scenario. I mean, I don't watch any of Shonda Rhimes. I cast no stone anybody that does, but I just don't watch her stuff. But that's how to get away with murder, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, scandal, I can't remember all the other ones, but this scenario is worse than anything they could bring out. It's worse than anything the walking dead could bring up. Come on, somebody. It's worse than what parenthood could bring up. It's worse than the worst scene of any movie you've ever seen. This thing going on in the garden is tragic. It is horrible. It is beyond words. The best writers among us could not have written such an ugly script where these two people blow it for the whole human race. Even Downton Abbey, which only Susan and I probably love, could not write a scene. And there is a terrible scene in season two we should not tell you about. But at any rate, here is the deal. This is a horrible scene, but God comes. Someone say, God comes. God comes when the roses become thorns, when the docile tiger that roamed freely with a lamb in the garden, God comes walking into that which is tragic. God comes walking into that which the enemy has made ugly. And God says to each one of us, I will always come and give you beauty for ashes. I will come and give you oil for your mourning. I will come and give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God will always come and he will always show up somebody give him a praise look at your neighbor and say don't be scared pastor hank will be back next sunday she'll be done here in a little bit you see god will always give you grace to fulfill your potential and live the life he ordained you to do he says your grace we say his grace is sufficient and god does show up and uh he says he i think i can't go into this but i love to do a whole sermon on creation because this moment is so hard this is God who they would, I believe in my imagination, they would see walking with a lamb over his shoulders, Jay, while lions walked beside him. Every animal was at peace with every other animal. It was perfect and holy. And then here comes God, and he picks up one of the lambs that he's carried around and named in this perfect world, and he begins to kill it. And he skins the lamb, and he takes the skins, and he wraps them around Adam and Eve, and what he says is, you're not alone. I'm covering you with my love. I know I'd have the right to destroy you, but I'm going to give you another chance. And he 
covers them with the skin of that lamb and they watch as the creator has to kill something he created to cover something else that he created by his name. And then God says to Eve and he says to the serpent in Genesis 3 and 15, to the serpent he says there will be war between your offspring, that was to Satan, between your offspring and the offspring of Eve, which means every son and daughter that ever lived from Eve, which is every one of us in this room and everyone that ever lived, will consistently be war with the descendants of Satan and with himself. You can't get away from that. You can't ignore that. You can't run from that. You will always find that in your life. And intimidation wants to overwhelm you with a sense of fear, delay you with detours, and attack you with discouragements. And once you've retreated into submission because of what that serpent will say to you, either knowingly or unknowingly, you are a slave of the intimidator. You are no longer free to obey the will of God. Or you can and grab the second part of that when he said you'll be at war and then he said and the descendants of Eve will crush your head Satan you might strike at their heel but that's just a strike people can get a strike in the heel and keep going but the descendants of Eve which he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ will crush the head of Satan somebody give him a praise I love this verse I didn't even know this verse um, I, I, if I knew it, I don't remember it, but um, not too long ago, I'll leave it at this. I had an opportunity to go into a situation that I was outclassed in every way. I'm not going to cry. I'm real tender about this moment. I'm probably going to cry. And um, I was talking to my sister about it. And I said, I, you know, sis, I don't have the right clothes. And I feel like I had... We're going to be seeing some people I'd not seen for many years. And I'd gone through some humbling and some brokenness, as often we all do. And I said, I, I, I know they all won't know, but I know what I've gone through. And I just I don't have the look. I don't have the right hair. And it wasn't just looks, but it was what I had on the inside. And my sister, it's wonderful to have a godly sister who's a dear friend. And she said, sis, there is no rival for humility. When God has taken you through a journey that has humbled you, whether it's what men did to you or something just along your journey, there's nothing that can compete with humility. And when you go in there, the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be such a beautiful fragrance. And we prayed such an encouraging word. I forgot about it. I went. Everything was going great, fantastic, and awesome. But on the drive there, and I could go longer if I was at a women's conference. We've got to keep this short. But on the drive there, um, I was seeing some of the people that were going to the same event, and I was seeing what they had on, and figured that I'd kind of, uh, um, I'd underestimated the um, formal wedding dress code, and um, I had on a black dress that would have been great to wear anywhere, a short evening dress that I bought at the thrift store for $2.47, hallelujah. And um, I had on a necklace, and I'm, I'm usually very proud of these things. I had on a necklace that a friend had given me that was going to give it to Goodwill. She said, do you want this? I said, absolutely. So I had that on, and my shoes I had on a beautiful shawl. My hair was all done. And, uh, but all of a sudden, that snake came into my garden. And I began to, it's funny, women, you know how this is. The pastor was driving. I was pulling down the mirror and putting it up, pulling down the looking at my Goodwill necklace, my $2, I can't remember how I said, $2.47 dress, and, and that thing came out of me. You're outclassed, you're outwitted. I fought it my whole life, mostly. You know, you're, you're going into, you're like a, a poor maiden. You're like a, and all these words just were hurled, and 
I didn't say anything, but I wouldn't bring those. Well, I'm very funny about what I'll bring into an atmosphere at, at, a, at a moment. I'm very funny about it because uh, words matter. But Pastor, loving me the way he does, knew, and he said, you are beautiful. You are so beautiful. And I said, thank you, honey. Thank you. He said, you look so beautiful. Your hair. Your I said, thank you, honey. And I was trying not to cry. I didn't want to say anything. And as we drove, the drive was kind of long. The Holy Spirit whispered this scripture that I didn't even, I mean, I didn't know at the moment it was a scripture. He said, hey, I beautify the meek with salvation. And when he said it, my spirit just leaped, and I knew that that's got to be a scripture. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit. Well, when I got there, it was incredible. I'm, I'm friends with Joel Osteen's sister, which does not make me. I'm as happy that the Hope House girls know me. Trust me, I've been through too much to put any names out there. It doesn't matter, but. It's so funny, the minute I got to the event, people just kept coming. April Osteen, like, oh, thank God you wore a short black dress. I did too, and, and um, I did, you know, no one else is here. I mean, it's just weird how it happened, but people began to come, and later when I began to search up, he beautifies the meek with salvation. It's in Psalms 149.4, and this is how it applies to every man and woman in this room today. When it says that, it says, I will give you honor that no adorning or title or name or experience can ever give you. I will give you miraculous deliverance, says the Lord. I will deliver you from your enemies and set you above them. And my salvation is not just limited to victory, but it denotes welfare and prosperity. That means through our salvation in Jesus Christ, just what Adam and Eve were told with the skins, God says, I can add to you when no one can add to you. I can give to you when no one, if you will humble yourself and call on my name and believe in me, God can make beautiful that which was once disturbed. God can bring hope where there was hopelessness. God can bring faith where there was anxiousness. God can bring joy where there was sorrow. God can bring honor where there was shame. God sees pattern. He saw the pattern in Adam and Eve, but above that, Johnny, he saw the potential in them. Somebody give God a hand clap praise. Listen, God spoke potential to Abraham. He saw the potential in Abraham when he did not have a son and he was very old and he called him father of all nations. We are here today because God saw the potential in Adam and Eve. God saw Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver. Everyone said he'll never be trusted, but God changed his name to Israel and Prince. God saw Joseph when people said they saw his pattern. He's a dreamer. He just dreams all the time. Nothing's going to ever come about through his life. But God said, I see in Joseph a ruler of nations that someday will save the entire nation of Egypt. God saw Moses when people said he was a captive, when they said he was a murderer. And God said, I want that one to lead my people out of bondage. God saw in Deborah when people said, woman, listen, Deborah did not have to put on a little hat and go march with the feminist. God gave her a title and a position because God is the father of every son and daughter in the world and when he calls you to do something God will equip you someone say amen and God saw her when people said Tiffany that's just a woman she can't do the will of God and God said Deborah I have chosen you to go into battle and to lead Barak as I'm going to bring the, the very chariots of Sisera and stick them in the mud and I'm going to let you sing the victory God 
God saw a woman named Jael. People said that's just a housewife. She stays at home and takes care of children. She stays at home and does nothing. But God said through her, and he used her to crush the head of Sisera and drive a spike in his head. God saw Gideon when others said, and Gideon saw himself as the least and the smallest. He said, I'm the least of my family. I'm the less educated. I'm Lord, I've always identified with Gideon. I'm the one who no one thought God could ever make anything out of their life. But God saw in Gideon a mighty warrior, and he said, it will be my strength in you, Gideon, and you will trample the enemy, and you will beat them all the way back to their homeland. Let me tell you, when no one sees the potential in you, when no one, when they see you as a trickster, when they see you as a dreamer, when they see you as a captive, when they see you as a woman that can't do anything, when they see you as the least in your family, when they see you as Esther, like an orphan with no hope, it will be God who will call you, raise you up, and that queen Esther saved thousands of lives. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. God saw David when people only saw him as a shepherd boy. And God raised him up to be a mighty warrior. And God said, David, no matter what you go through, I'm going to tell you something. People will say, he is a man after my own heart. God saw in Nehemiah when others said, he's just a servant. He's nothing but a servant. He tastes the drink. He makes sure the king doesn't get poisoned. He's around serving. He is a captive. He'll never be anything. But on a certain day in a certain moment, God spoke the potential like he's speaking it over you today and he said that's the one I've chosen to rebuild the greatest city on earth called Jerusalem and it will be Nehemiah's hands that will begin it and finish it when people say unto you are your those thoughts in your head you'll never amount you got to know that God just like these people sees your potential give him another hand clap of praise let me go a little farther then we'll come down to the moments that we're going to dwell in ending in these moments. God saw in Peter, the disciple, when others called him boastful, foot in his mouth, the one who always said what he wasn't supposed to say. God saw a rock. God saw in Saul when he was a murderer that he could be Paul, the greatest preacher of the New Testament. Then Jesus, someone say then Jesus. Then Jesus comes walking into the New Testament. The Bible says that Jesus makes God visible. Then there was Jesus. We heard about God. We read about God in the Old Testament. But when the book of Matthew opens up and Jesus starts walking upon the planet earth. When he starts walking, we see who God is and what we can expect from him. Someone say amen. When you see Jesus healing the demoniac of Gadara and seeing him in chains as he clawed himself, many believe had a horrific addiction. But he was called to be one of the greatest evangelists of the New Testament. The lepers, the incurable disease of that day. We have our incurable disease that people label today. But Jesus healed them and raised them up. The woman caught in adultery, he stopped her accusers. He drew a line in the sand. He said, go and sin no more, but he resurrected her dreams. When people say you've gone as far as you can go in your blessings, in your goodness, in your healing, God himself through the blood of Jesus will draw the line in the sand and say, you better all back up because you don't know who's inside of him or her. It is I, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I... I am the hope of glory. Somebody give Jesus a praise. The blind men that were healed 
when you get to a point that you feel like you can't see. And Josh, if you will come up and start playing. I've got some more to travel through, but if you'll just come up and start playing as a ground these last 10 minutes. Blind men that were healed, what Jesus is saying, then there's Jesus. When you cannot chart your course, when you cannot figure out the next step, when you don't know what the will of God is, Jesus opened those blinded eyes and saying, I can give you vision when you have none. I can give you determination when you have none. I can give you healing when you have none. Then there is Jesus against every voice that tells you something opposite. When Mary and Martha and had lost their dearly beloved brother and they were Jesus' BFFs, it's true. And when they had lost him and he had been buried and they said to him, if you had only been here, Jesus, this wouldn't happen. In moments in your life when you say, Jesus, if you had only answered me on that day, I wouldn't be facing him or her. Jesus, if I had only not had to go through that battle, I wouldn't be where I am today. But Jesus says to them, stand still and see what I can do. And Jesus says those words of Lazarus come forth, and most of us know the story. He rose from the dead. When what happened that you didn't want to happen to you, or when you did what you didn't want to do, Jesus shows up and says, I'm going to resurrect your dream. I'm going to resurrect your potential. He's speaking today. He's speaking to every one of you through this word, to me, resurrecting your potential. Recently, God went to a lot of trouble through a dream and then a supernatural thing call. I don't have time for those details because I need to get where I'm going to finish to get Pastor and Christine and I to an event in Dallas. And um, I even miscalculated when a speaking engagement was going to be. I, I've, I've only done that one other time in 25 years. I never miss a speaking engagement. But I agreed, well, when a phone call came, we want to make this happen to you, um, to come out to go to the wedding of the Lamb family daughter. And... Um, Christine didn't know that Remnant was scheduled to be somewhere. There were several things that just like, God just hid. So we accepted this opportunity late in the game. And I told Christine, and, and I looked back in my devotional book, and I saw where I had had a dream on August 31st. It's been my, I have all these books that I write things in every morning. They're just, I buy them for like 50 cents at the dollar store, and I write scriptures and thoughts. And, and in there, I had a dream on August the 31st. I showed it to me, Shaylee, and Christine that next morning. And the dream foretold of this, but I didn't realize it till we were on our way. But I told Pastor and Christine, I said, I just feel like the Lord has worked so hard to get us here. I said, maybe it's just to bless us, you know, just to encourage us. We get to go and be around a lot of just great people of the earth that love Jesus. Just so many different people. And indeed, all that happened. And we I've got to meet so many people, and that would really be dropping names, but I got to, you know, and just encounter reek, just just to get just to love on people, people to love on us. Just to be blessed to be with friends, to stay in the home of our dear friends, the Murdochs, and uh, be with our friends, the Lambs. It just it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But the day we were to fly out, we went to Gateway that morning with Joni Lamb. Joni Lamb, and um, she said, "I want to take you to this restaurant." So we went to this restaurant, and before the rest of the family got there, um, this man walks up to the table, and Joni knows him and his daughter, and they said, "Hey, how are you?" and and then Joni says to him, do you have anything for my friends? 
Well, to be honest, and this is kind of silly, but I thought he was like the owner of the restaurant. I didn't know if she was asking for some jalapeno peppers or, you know, some special little food item. I mean, he was just unassuming. I'd never seen him. He's quite known, but I didn't know that. And he looks around the table at us. He goes, I don't know. She goes, okay, well, go sit down, enjoy your lunch. If you get anything later, come. And then after he left, Joni told me his name, which I'm not going to say right now. You don't know who he is? I said, no. So she told me who he was and um, is known as a, a prophet. And and there's just several things that would be nationwide you would know of and yada, yada. It makes sense. And I said, oh. Well, then in a minute he comes and he sits down. And she said, you've got it, don't you? He said, I do. Now, she never said these are pastors. She, never, she just said, do you have anything for my friends? That's why I didn't know who he was. Then he begins to speak. I'm not going to share what he spoke. But he read my mind. It was it, Pastor and I and then to Christine. He repeated certain things I had said. He resurrected dreams I'd put about this church, about the future. Things I didn't even know I tabled. It's just like God went in and he just started speaking. It was so awesome and so powerful that even when I repeat it in prayer to the Lord, I weep and I'm holding it together because it was so powerful about this church, about the future, about what God was doing, what God was preparing to do, what, what God was bringing alive. And just the way the Lord worded everything, it was like he went into the very deepest of my heart and pulled out words and other pastors. It was so awesome. You could say in that moment that potential was awakened and I would weep if I tried to say anything he said. I can't. I have it on video, but it was so powerful. Wednesday night, someone spoke that I spoke that kind of potential into. That person that had been horrifically hooked to drugs for 10, 13 years. She's been clean for five. You see, most everyone, most everyone told me to give up on that person who spoke that to me. They said, just give it up. Just give it up. Because I would, oh, sorry, because oh. I would um, do everything to get her into the house of God, do everything to get her to somewhere, do email, respond to her emails in the middle of the night. I knew something was horrifically wrong about the last seven years. And it kind of came to me, but it probably was addiction, horrific addiction. But I would have dreams, and she would have dreams, and because God had given her gifts, she would even have dreams of things chasing her and her brother and then I would have my friends interpret her dreams it was just an amazing season what I'm telling you this is there is always someone who God will put in your life that will not give up on your potential and let me tell you something you might be that for someone else what Jesus did for you is greater than anyone and what anyone has done to you or anything you've been through when he speaks you got to respond with Philippians 3 and 12. I do not consider myself to arrive, but I keep going on grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. I leave the past behind and with hands outstretched. Somebody just do this. To whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal. I want you to say that. I go straight. Someone say, I go straight for the goal. This represents myrrh in these closing moments, if you'll give me about another six minutes. Myrrh is a gift that they brought to Christ when he was a child. The wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was 4,000 times, yes, more expensive than gold. And they brought him a lot, Leah. Myrrh in that day was an amazing pain reliever, and it still is. It reduced inflammation. Kings were the only ones that got myrrh. 
It assured a pain-free life. When you were given myrrh, only the rich had it. And it meant, it meant in the worst of your painful situation, there can be a respite or a break. You can put the myrrh, you can put the myrrh on your wounds. You can drink. Some people put it different ways. They take myrrh oil now, and it'll heal you. But in Mark 15 and 22, after Jesus had been before Pilate, and after he'd been thogged by the soldiers and flogged and had the crown of thorns put on his head, they were taking him up the Via Della Rosa, and Simon the Serene was taken to pick up his cross. And in that moment, it says they offered Jesus a drink mixed with wine and myrrh. But it specifically says in Mark 15 and 22 through 24, he did not take it. Why did he not take the myrrh? Why? Because he was not dying as a king. He was dying as a lamb. And he knew, I cannot relieve this pain because I have to take this pain so the rest of the universe for all time, their pain can be taken from them. Come on, somebody. In Isaiah 53, then there was Jesus who had no form or comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We hid. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. But even though then, there is still Jesus. Isaiah the prophet says, in spite of all that, he bears our griefs. He carries our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken like God had did it to him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Someone just raise a hand and just say, I love you, Jesus. Or just say it right. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Listen to me in this closing moments. His wounds were for our transgressions. Our transgressions are when we transgress. What he told you, that's what his word says. When we overstep our boundaries, wounds are breaking the skin. The wounds that came upon his body for our transgressions. Then there is Jesus. His bruises was for our iniquities. Iniquities, the um, word of the Hebrew comes from the original word bent, which means certain behavior that we might have picked up from our ancestor bodies. Bents in our life, Angie, that we thought, I'll never do that again. But then we did. Things that we might have been genetically wired with from our parents. He refused the myrrh, even though he had been given so much as a baby. Because he wanted to feel every pain. Then there is Jesus. So he could fulfill Genesis 3.15 and crush the head of our adversary. Let me tell you, because of everything that hurt you, he tried to destroy you. He took the chastisements upon his back. 
You don't have to continue with the iniquities. He is the remedy. He is the answer. He already took the full weight of your suffering. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Psalms 55 and 22 says, Cast all your care upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the godly to be shaken. Glory to his name. I'm restraining myself. That word cast is galal. It can best be demonstrated, if I can say it to you this way. In that day, the camels were the beast of burden. They were the 18-wheelers of the day, and they would carry massive freight on their back from long places across the desert, long distances. They would hook them on, and the owner, when he would bring them into the city of gates after they'd gone through the desert, and they've got all that weight on them, the owner would give a gloss sign and he would pull the camel's rope and when he did the rope, would, the camel would go on his knees. You might have seen this in a movie the camel will go on his knees but this comes from research. Then the camel when he pulls a second time will roll over on his side. Then the owner of the camel will reach down and he'll unbuckle all that freight that like an 18 wheeler could carry on that animal and after he takes the weight off of him, the camel shakes himself and he stands right up and he's free. Let me tell you something, all your bruises that no one can see, all your iniquities in mind that we'd rather no one ever know about, Jesus says the law, kneel before me, kneel before my name and let me unbuckle that which you have carried that you do not need to carry one more step, that burden, that worry, that care, that concern. Do not carry it anymore. Let me unbuckle it and cast it into my hands. I refuse the mercy, says the Lord Jesus Christ, that I might carry every pain, every wound, every burden, every impossibility. And there is no reason, for He is the merciful King. Someone say, Jesus. Let me tell you, in John 19, before I get ready to close, he got myrrh one more time. He got it as a baby, as a king. He refused it at the cross because he died as a commoner. Though he could have called in thousands of angels to rescue him, he refused that which would take his pain away. But upon his death, Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus come to Pilate and to Herod and ask to bury his body in a wealthy man's tomb. And the Bible said they brought 75 pounds, I can't even lift this, of myrrh to his body. You see, they soaked cloths. I've got gold here to symbolize the very value of this in that day. These men knew the value of this one called Jesus. Yet I'm this merciful high priest and they dripped these cloths in myrrh 75 pounds of it and they wrapped his beautiful body with this myrrh and when they did they were saying we know what a king this is he might have died as a commoner he might have been born as a king but we are believing that he will resurrect as the son of the almighty God somebody give him praise now let me tell you something. You can try to get through your stuff by yourself. It'll never work. You can look to sex. You can look to a relationship. 
You look at your food, you can look to fear, worry, you can look to pain, pills, you can look to liquor. You can look to whatever to try to ease your own pain, but you will always, if you are ruling your own life, you will live with that pain. You will never be released. But listen to me. When you kneel before the Lord Jesus, whether that's physically or just heart surrendering to Him, and you call out His name, the Holy Spirit brings more than 75 pounds of myrrh straight from the storeroom of heaven and begins to comfort your soul. You wonder how you made it through that midnight hour when nobody knew what you were going through. You wonder how you survived a broken heart betrayal. You wonder how you survived things that you experienced and did that shame you beyond mercy. It's because when you called on the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, though you could not see it, brought myrrh to ease your mind, to ease your heart, to ease your soul, to tell you I see the potential and you are rising up free in my name. Somebody give Jesus a shout of praise. I want you to stand all over this building and listen to me as we get ready for prayer. Listen, team, would you come? I don't want it to end here. Then there's Jesus. There's a moment when... Um, Gerald, would you come here, please, just for a moment? There's a moment if you just stand right here and face me. Listen to me. I don't want to leave it here. I want to tell you something. That King Jesus, he did walk out of the tomb. And when he did, he removed the word impossible from our vocabulary. He became the ultimate grave robber. God resurrected dreams, no matter what part of my personality or your personality we felt died in the midst of suffering or brokenness. Sins. Sin. Or maybe we thought part of our personality died by the hands of Satan. You see, the grave robber comes and he says, I'm going to give you your life back. Come on, somebody. I'm going to give you your life back. What the enemy tried to take from you. What he tried to destroy you with. What he tried to change through that season that you went through something. Oh, if you think the new version of you is going to be a rubbed down, second class citizen, half weak, half strong. No, the resurrection power of Jesus comes to give back with interest. Comes to give your life back. Comes to say to you, the impossible becomes possible. Somebody now just give him a shout of praise. Remember when God said to Eve, your seed will crush the head of Satan. Well, she had Cain and Abel. One of them killed the other, and the other one was driven out of that land. I'm sure like a lot of us, she thought, we're getting ready to pray. I thought she probably thought, God, that's the way I thought you were going to do it. God, that's the way I thought you were going to do it. Then years later, some 125 years later, she gave birth to another child. She named him Seth, which means God has appointed me another seed. Which says to you and I, because of Jesus, there'll always be another miracle. There'll always be another opportunity. There'll always be a better job. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not selling you a lie here. I'm selling you the gospel. There'll always be forgiveness. There'll always be a chance. And it says that, you see, they had walked, Gerald, in the cool of the evening with God. It says they would hear the sound of God walking. I don't know what that sounded like. <laughs> I can't even imagine to hear the sound of God walking in the garden.
garden. That's what it says. How do you hear that sound? I don't think it was just steps. I don't know if it was a cadence. I don't know if it was a song he sang. But that sound went away. Seth gave birth to a baby named Enos, which would have been their grandson. And it says in the days of Enos that men began to worship the Lord again. What that says to you and I, because of Christ, there will be seasons, Bridget, of darkness. There will be seasons we will lose our song. There will be seasons when fear will seem to have like a noose around our neck, a camel on its belly, laying on the floor. But there will always be a moment and a time when we will begin to hear the sound of hope, the sound of joy, the sound of jubilant healing. Somebody give the Lord Jesus a hand clap of praise. There's great historians that write that Adam and Eve were so depressed for such a long season that they hid in caves. But a lot of people believe that Enos was one of those that just kept saying, Adam, please talk to us about God. If you get around someone that knows God, don't ask them about their hair. Ask them about God. Please talk to us about God. Please. Elohim, tell us about him. And somehow Enos, the grandson, opened Adam's heart again, I believe. And Adam began to say, we called him Elohim. We called him Great One. We called him the I Am. He was full of love. If you could have seen him when he had to kill the lamb, sometimes you just got to get it out. If you had seen him when he could have given up for us, given up on us, but he didn't. He killed that lamb and he covered us with the skins. And we had to leave Edom, but he was in his presence with us. And he said, someday our seed is going to crush the head of the one that destroyed us. And somehow Enos began to say, Jehovah. Glory to God. Hosanna. Bless your Father. And other men began to hear and other women began to hear. And then became a great awakening. What it would be in our generation if we would begin to make the sound of praise. The sound of glory. The sound of Jesus says. But let me show you this and we're going to pray. I believe when Jesus raised right from the dead, the book of Hebrews said that he went in. The Holy Spirit went down and pulled him up to the right hand of the Father. Now that's a moment I like to preach on. I'd like to have been there. When the Holy Spirit showed up in the middle of hell and said, Jesus is leaving now. And I'm sure the devil wanted to say, you've got no authority. And the Spirit said, yes, I'm the one that hovered the earth in Genesis 1. I created dark out of light, light out of dark. I created the sea out of the land. I created the birds. I'm taking this one to heaven. And the Bible said Christ went to the right hand of the Father and he took his blood and he poured it on the mercy seat. That's why we can come boldly. I like to believe, Gerald, in that line, that Eve was in that line. And as, that's just a whole presentation I can't go into. But when Jesus broke into heaven and he comes marching, I believe heaven went crazy. You talk about the saints winning. You talk about any team winning. You never sing crazy praise like that day. When Jesus, the Son of God, is victorious over death. And he comes into heaven with his own blood going straight for the mercy seat in front of God. And he pours his blood on the mercy seat saying, my people will be restored. My people will be redeemed. I love to believe in that group as he came through. That Jesus, you're Jesus and I'm Eve. I love to believe he just stopped for a moment. If you put your hand up like this, Brother Jerry. I like to believe she said, are you flesh and blood? Are you the one that's come to destroy 
the one who destroyed me. I believe in that moment that Eve knew that the prophecy had been fulfilled. And I want to tell you, just as God gave Eve the chance and used her seed, so does the power of the Lord Jesus Christ work for you. Thank you, Gerald. Somebody give him one more praise, and we're going to get ready to pray. Somebody give Jesus a praise. Somebody give Jesus a shout. kings. They're going to begin to sing. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can come and stand somewhere. I'm not, no one's going to move among you. We're not going to make you feel uncomfortable. Or you can stand at your seat. There's communion over here. You take the bread and you dip it in the juice, representing his body and his blood. When I knew this came to me to preach, I had so many things I wanted to preach. Chris, I was working on my files and all those just so many fabulous things. And then Wednesday morning devotions, Holy Spirit said, then there is Jesus. This is what you will share. This is to be all about him. This is a moment for you like a camel to kneel down and say, take the burdens off of me. Take the worry off of me. I galaw them. I'll just put them on you. If you're believing God for a prodigal, at your own will you'll go over there. No one will be over there at that table. This cross represents everything you can put on it. You don't even have, you don't have to go to the cross. It's just there as symbolic. You need to have him wrap you with myrrh. These altars are here. This song says you have no rival, you have no equal. You didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. My sin was great, but your love was greater. You have no equal, Jesus. What a beautiful name is yours. Let me pray of you, Father, as we get ready to just allow a few minutes of ministry just to, to have a moment with you, Lord, to end this message. I pray you'd meet each person. Lord, whether they're standing back there, sitting back there, or I hope many that feel led will just come and stand, Lord. I'm going to kneel right here, Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, because of your Lordship, because you broke the power of hell. Lord Jesus, we just want to kneel before you. If there's someone in this room.